Welcome to 172. This is a podcast where we interview 172 inspiring people of color to commemorate the 172 reported black lives lost to police brutality. Through these interviews, we explore the themes of systemic racism and how it's embedded within our culture and society. But most importantly, how our interviewees overcame these adversities despite all the odds against them. These inspiring and touching stories truly ground the audience in the realities many American minorities encounter every single day. These same stories, though, uplift our audience. They remind the audience that despite all the narratives, all the stereotypes, despite the mechanisms of social norms squeezing them into an unnatural mold, human potential prevails. Their human potential reflects resilience. Their personal triumphs show how we can embody our own identities while accomplishing our aspirations. They truly reveal how anything is possible, even in a world that wants you to remain silent. This is 172. Born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida, Joshua is now a rising senior at the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music, receiving a BFA in musical theater. His credits include the MUNY Cinderella, Capital City Theater on the Town, appearances at Carnegie Hall, New York Pops Annual Gala, Lincoln Center BDF Foundation, and at Disney Christmas Day Celebration as a dancer with Mariah Carey. Additional theater credits include The Little Mermaid as Sebastian, The Wizard of Oz as the Tim Man, Putnam County Spelling Bee, Chip Toliento, Spring Awakening as George Knitz, and Joshua is grateful for his supportive community. He extends his eternal gratitude to CCM, BDF, BDC, DeSoto, CB, David, and his loving family. He is grateful for this opportunity to share his truth. Please welcome Joshua Kenneth Allen Johnson. This episode is in memory of Elijah McLean. from Jacksonville, Florida, and born and raised here. I went to, I went to school at the beaches, I went to Episcopal for middle school, and then I went to Douglas Anderson for high school where I majored in musical theater. I then went on to pursue my bachelor's in fine arts and musical theater at the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music in Ohio, which I'll be graduating in May. So <laughs> that's exciting. Um, Background-wise, I come from a loving family that supported my theatrical career in (laughs) major ways, from investing in training to summer camps to shows and intensives. So that-wise, that's how I've kind of come up. Um, Theater I kind of discovered when I was in second grade, and I've kind of (laughs) got the bug and you stick with it, and kind of learned that that's something I really want to pursue. I've always had a duality mindset between education and theater, so finding out that I could be educated in theater was a lovely bond. But that's about my come up story in theater. (laughs) But whatever you want to talk about, let's get into it. Okay, yeah. So why don't we start about when you're talking about in second grade, like that angling, that sickening bug that you got. How did you find out that this is something I want to pursue despite the representation? Well, it honestly depends on who you ask. My mom will say I was born with it. I will say that it was because in second grade, I realized the people in play rehearsal got out of standardized testing prep. 
And I said, that sounds more fun. <laughs> and so that's basically how it started. And I mean, in terms of representation, and I really had to like sit down and think about it when I got your email, was because growing up, I was always the only black boy doing it. You know, I was always the only one, I was the only boy in my dance studio. And so let alone the only black boy in my studio. And then I went to middle school and I was one of three black boys in my class. And then let alone the one black boy that did theater. So I kind of have always been the only boy slash only black boy. And it wasn't until, and they say hindsight is twenty twenty. it's not until I really got to, I want to say maybe my senior year of high school or freshman year of college that I actually began to see that there was, that I came up in this world where there was that lack of representation. And I mean, I always had incredible mentors and incredible artists that I looked up to um, in the industry, Billy Porter, Titus Burgess, um, Wayne Brady, uh, Leslie Odom Jr. So like people like that who I've always seen as someone that I could like emulate and that's always what I think carried me through because I never felt like I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. I, but then looking back, I can I see now how for every one Leslie Odom Jr. I got, my white counterpart had 10, um, 10, uh, what's his name, uh, from Dear Evan Hansen, uh, 10 Ben Platts. Oh, right. Yeah. You know? And so that's what I'm realizing now is that dichotomy of that idea where I may have had the one and I was lucky enough to have one that I could stick to and follow their trajectory and their career path. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, the people that were sitting next to me in class are the people that had a million different options and a million different ways they can see their career going. And I can go be like, I can go be like Ben Platt. I can go be like this person. I can go be like Neil Patrick Harris. Like I can do all these kind of different things. Whereas in my shoes, it was like, well, I'm gonna go be Leslie Odom Jr. I'm gonna go be Billy Porter and not having that wide scope of, love, of a lens as to your potential in this industry. Mm-hmm. And then when I finally got educated in it, then I'm now pursuing, I'm on my fourth year of college, and I'm realizing how many things I can do that I wasn't seeing myself in when I was growing up. Okay. Why, why don't you elaborate on that? Because something that I feel is like, I feel like everything that you were just capturing right there is what like normalized systemic racism is, how we limit ourselves to the opportunities that we can pursue because of how society works with these racial microaggressions and everything. So mm-hmm. why don't you talk about that discovery that you've made? Yeah, it's, I mean, and you said it best, it is systemic. This is, it is a systematic form of oppression within theater as well as our world. And that's also something I've begun to notice is that people will try to separate the two. Mm-hmm. Or like, you can like, well, theater is one thing, but like the world is this. And you'll see activists in theater for the world and being like, and saying Black Lives Matter and and really being, being great allies to the Black community when yeah. it comes to the sense of the world. But when oh. it comes to that actual like bubble of theater and not yeah. realizing that the two parallel exactly to each other, how the same representation you're going to ask for in businesses should be the same representation you ask for in theater, right? In on stage, in the right. room, in casting, in creating, in writing, in directing, and mm-hmm. that's the thing. And that's the parallel, the connection that I don't think people tend to make is yeah. that the two are related. Art imitates life, 
And because our art is, because we we want to say life needs to change. Well, if we're going to say that, we need to also say our art needs to change. Exactly. That's so true. It's so powerful. Like that, you saying that just like opened my eyes because I completely understand what you're saying. And I think that, I don't know, when you were talking about how things need to, I guess like people need to confront the realities of what we're living and do you think that people neglecting to acknowledge these realities within the theater community is just that perpetuating form of systemic racism how they prioritize their own opportunities and potential or is it more like performative activism or like kind of just like that entire scope it's a lot of stuff it's a it's a wide range of activism and i think What's fun about being a performer is that you can see people becoming performative with their activism. True. But and so, but going back to the point of like, it's a hard thing to face. It is a hard pill to swallow. And what I have found, and this is coming from someone who goes to a, one of the top three programs in the country for musical theater, but my program has been consistently uh, berated for their lack of diversity within the program. Mm-hmm. And so then, like. And so now this, now me, the black boy who's in the program, hearing about like the lack of diversity in the program and trying to, and watching kind of as my white peers and white counterparts and white educators try to determine the best way <laughs> to bring more people like me into, this, into the space without ever asking me. And I, what I think people have a hard time realizing is because you'll have, I'll be sitting in class and everyone's saying, we need more diversity. We need more, like my white friend saying, we need more diversity. We need more diversity. But what they fail to realize is that the seat that they are currently taking is the seat that could have gone to someone of color, could have gone to a black artist, could have gone to a Hispanic artist. And that is a hard pill to swallow. That is hard to look in the mirror. And I mean, I've come up with privileges of my own that I know that I address, that I will openly address and say that I am not, I I have had uh, privileges of my own. So I know that it is hard to face yourself in the mirror at times. But it's something to be said about my, about someone who is of the majority looking at themselves in the mirror and realizing that because you're here as well is the reason this seat is taken. And you want to you want to parade around and say we need more black people. Why don't they just accept more black people? Well, it's because you <laughs> accepted like, your yeah you, because you accept like you accept your offer and and like, no one's asking you to reject your offer. It's just that we have to start there. Right. and realize that that's this is the that's the reality mm-hmm. you know like the seats right now like we can't you can't really change anything until you look within yourself exactly and so and so then that goes into like performative activism which i think is an easy e- especially with social media these days it's an easy kind of hole to fall into yeah definitely because it is so easy these days to just post a um, like a Black Lives Matter art on your right. Instagram. Yeah. While, it, while it's out there and it's beautiful and you have your thousand followers that see that, is that enough? Right. And I'm of the mindset that it's not. I mean, the thing is like, I don't believe that I, my activism should be spoken for through my, so, through my Instagram. And I know that there's many different ideals on how Instagram and social media play a part into activism. But I believe in putting, basically putting your money where your mouth is, or putting action, putting your words into action. Yeah. And so unless you are going to further your words and follow it up with action, then I don't believe your words have, your words don't mean anything at that point. Exactly. 
Exactly. It's the bare minimum. It's exactly. Just, you're just trying to, it's the, what performative activism is. You're checking the checklist because you are saving face. And then we look at the movement that's taking place right now over social media, where I believe that there's this trend to not want to be the racist in the room. You may exactly. not be racist yeah. at all, but because because Tom, Dick, and Harry all posted that they that Black Lives Matter, and you were the Don't one that didn't it. yet, you're like, oh, well, crap, I have to do it too. Mm-hmm. And now, do you mean those words, or are you just trying not to? to make like draw attention to yourself exactly the generosity isn't there anymore and kind of paralleling onto that this is something i was talking about with another uh theater performer that within the industry there's kind of the same kind of preference that they want to be more diverse and include more diversity but it's more so of just completing the image and not not necessarily being genuine about celebrating the diversity. Like she was talking about how they would cast uh, ethnically looking diverse ensemble, but all of the main roles would be given out to white people. Is that something that you've seen before? Oh, I mean, most definitely. Talking from someone who has written the ensemble track <laughs> for the majority of his career. Well, I love it, and dance is one of my favorite things to do. It is something that happens, and I think right. that we have to say that that is something that happens. Mm-hmm. And I believe it comes back to this because people want to call representation for Black people the color purple. Yeah. People want to call representation for Black people Hamilton. You know, people want to call these shows, call representation ragtime. People want to say these are the shows that hairspray, the shows that deal with race and, and show the story of a black member of black artists being subjected to hate due to their race, as opposed to, I mean, we don't see, we don't like, I'm gonna go back to Dear Evan Hansen. You don't see any part of Dear Evan Hansen where Evan Hansen feels bad because he's white. Like, none of his issues are brought up due to the fact of the color of his skin. Right. And we're not seeing shows that are written for Black people with those stakes. Exactly. Where it is not, where no, none of the conflict, none of the, none of the, uh, the plot revolves around what they look like. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and it's just like, of course, racism is something that we need to acknowledge in order to erase ignorance. But at the same time, it's about humanizing people. It's about making them feel like they are just as worthy and valid. They have these stories that, you know, the white people have as well. And then somehow it's also not normal. We don't, we haven't normalized that yet. Because now, the next thing you'll see is, ah, the first Black Evan Hansen. Ah, Mm -hmm. the first Black X, Y, and Z in this show. You know, we see that being the new the headline yeah you know what the show is yeah instead of what the show is instead of saying hey here's her name it here's the role she's in you know and that right. but the headline has to be the first black woman to be this thing and while it is upsetting that we are out of that we are in 2020 and we are getting the first black woman of to to end to do <laughs> to do anything to see yeah. anything but the fact that that is the headline and that is the headline that eyes want to see, and that is the headline that is being promoted. It is not normalizing. It's making it a stunt to cast a black person in a predominantly white role. Right, and I feel like that just like goes to like the industry reflection of checking the check mark. You know, like wanting to get that image, doing it for face, saving themselves from being outed as quote unquote racist, and it's like where since you've been someone who's casted ensembles where can we do better i mean you have to really look at the numbers 
Mm-hmm. And as someone who has been looking at numbers both in the industry as well as auditioning for college and seeing who's coming to my school, who's applying to my school, you have to really look at the numbers. I mean, if you look at the numbers of current Broadway shows right now, you can literally Google it, and you will see that the shows are predominantly white. You know, we could have show, we can have shows that have nothing to do with race, and yet they are still predominantly white. And what's even it's kind of interesting that we bring this up because I literally saw, opened my phone this morning and saw, like, I can't name a black casting director. The people who bring you into the room for these shows, I can't name a black casting director. And I'm hoping that should someone hear me say this and say, hey, I know one, please introduce me to them because I would love to know the name of a black casting director. Right. Because we're watching all these shows being cast by white people. Right. And yeah. I mean, I have I have the best I have the best best mentor, choreographer uh, and director Josh Walton, mm-hmm. who um, who I, he choreographed my on the time he also did my Cinderella at the Muni. He put it best, and I I gained so much respect for him when he said this, and I've admired his ideology ever since. Was he? We were just talking, and he said he said, you know what? I have to come to the harsh truth that I am racist. And it wasn't because like I like wanted to be or I hated like other races. It was just that this that's who I am. Because I grew up in an all-white community. I grew up doing theater with my all-white friends. And then when I came started time to create theater, I started creating theater for my all-white friends. And it wasn't until I was looking at that going, wait a second, why is my cast all white? <laughs> that I began to realize that, oh. That is the racist in me. It is the prejudice in me. It is the it is the bias in me that has kind of created the system where I have created a space that is for only white people. And it wasn't intentional, but it was based on my coming up. Right. Wow. And I think if we can call a spade a spade and say that that's what's happening, is we're la- we have lacked um, representation in the early educational phases of theater that when we grow up and we start creating theater, we naturally assume it's supposed to be for white people. Right. And like, you think of a role, like if I, I'm pretty sure like if we went, to, if we put, ask someone to put pen to paper and start creating a role, their initial image is going to be of a white person. Mm-hmm. Because that is what we have normalized, exactly. is that the title character, the headlining act, will be white. Yeah. And it's just, it just goes back to like this foundation that not only does everything start at home, but also within the education system. You know, you we have to integrate more diversity. The other day I was talking with my friend and I can't name one black teacher I've ever had throughout my entire high school career. And I know that for me, like that is something that I am deeply astounded by, but for the people of color who go to my school and have to deal with that without having to be their own leaders and having to deal with people who do not understand their own struggles and adversities, that is something I will never have to experience, but I truly feel for them because that's something that, for me personally, like high school's already hard enough and you know, life only gets more worse, but having someone who you could rely on as a mentor who gets your personal adversities mm-hmm. is something that I am privileged with and it's just like we have to normalize this ability of you know desegregating 
everything, you know? And I will tell you now, it does not get much better in the college level, at the college level. I mean, I'm looking now as a rising senior in college at my all white house that have yet to <laughs> take a class from a black person in college, four years down, you know? Yeah. And what is the, what's the hardest part about that? is because you feel like you have to be your own advocate. You feel like you have to advocate on behalf of you, your race, and those who look like you that will be coming up underneath you. Mm -hmm. And also at the same time, be a student and learn <laughs> and yeah. grow and go through life. But at the same time, you don't see anyone who looks like you that can advocate for you when you're not in the room. And then, beyond that then you have decisions being made above your pay grade above your head without a single advocate in that room so you only feel victim to the decision that could be made and then that's just on on the general things but let the topic be race and let the topic be diversity in theater let the topic be how do we encourage a diverse environment in our college theater mm -hmm. then and you're looking at this and you're like well who's going to talk to diversity you're all right. right. Like, who's going to speak to that? Right. And how? And like, who? Like, who are you calling upon to get their point of view? Because you can be an ally and you can have empathy, but it is one thing to empathize for a community, but for another thing to invite that community into the room to make the decision. Mm -hmm. It's taking action, taking initiative for mm -hmm. a betterment of society. It's like I am privileged enough to have the perspective that, that I have, but who am I to call? the judges and the stakes of someone else's life you know like to be on that committee you are really determining someone's life and where it's gonna head and just from your own dispositions like it's just like point blank period not fair because you're just you're not nor we're not normalized to those adversities and for them to have the power to make those decisions without being acclimated to those adversities is something that's taking advantage and it's just kind of being very ignorant of Not the realities and i mean there are so many base level things that i believe if we're going to talk on theater and theater education in a nutshell there are so many base level things that i believe need to be addressed and okay. that is how we are educating our black youth mm -hmm when they show interest like i mean i don't know if you've ever if you go on twitter but like you can see like like these beautiful videos of like little black boys just like in the street or in their yard like tumbling dancing yeah and they're good like they have that that natural like happiness and joy to do it but we live in a world where one i mean theater as an industry just is just does not guarantee any sort of financial success yeah and then on top of that you have the black family or the the minority family always wants the best for their child you know they want them to live a better life than the one they led before right and so to kind of and so the way that's been kind of sewn together is a better life equals better money mm -hmm. and so therefore theater is not seen in young minority families as a financial stability and like the way and i mean you can ask you you'll ask around and, but i came from the family that was very that invested in it you know and it's an investment you have to invest in yourself but at the education level the, so let's say so the child gets past that point we've convinced our parents that we want to go to the they say all right 
let's do it. But you can only, but now you have to go apply to college. Applying to college for theater is, cost maybe like $10,000 to do the audition, to do the audition circuit successfully. Mm -hmm. That's about 13 schools, 13 different applications, 13 different auditions, 13, 13 dance clubs, <laughs> like so pairs of dance wear and shoes. And so like you really, and traveling because you have to go to these places to audition. Yeah. And so then on top, so now, so now that's where you are. So now your financial limitations dictate where you can apply. And so now that your money, now that money's in your head, you have to then apply to the schools that you know you have a chance of getting into. So if I'm looking at a school like the one I got, like CCM, and I'm not seeing the representation of people who look like me, then I'm just gonna I'm gonna jump to that mindset that oh well then they're not gonna accept me. I'm not there. And so then I cut off that I cut off that branch, and I start trimming the tree. I start trimming the tree of opportunity, just so that I can just because I have to. Because financially, it, I don't have the financial flexibility to be to spread out my net as as wide as like my white counterpart would, or as my as my financially uh, my financially privileged peer would. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something we need to start. We need to start finding and building programs that invest in our young, diverse youth and their theatrical education because they're good and they want to do it. It's just that no one is going, no one has said, no one is like is saying, hey, you can do this. You just have to stick with it. We will help you. Right. And then on top of that, it's funny, I was talking to my dad about this, is like you may have an artist who, like a young girl who grew up singing in church. Everyone's like, hey, you have a voice. Like everyone, like your voice, your voice, you got to do something with it. You know, the community's already supporting you. But then she goes to school. And in school, the program, the theatrical prejudice of white people being cast as leads and overlooking her and her talent, she 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 knows she believes she has a gift. She loves singing, but because she is now in a system that continually overlooks her and never gives her the opportunity to say to like actually shine in the way that she knows she can, she begins to take on that mindset. Well, maybe I'm not that good. And then she begins to lessen herself and she begins to diminish her capabilities. She begins to turn down that light of hers that started it all in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so then by the time it comes time to, to apply to college, she's like, well, I'm not, I've not been cast. I've not been, I've not been given a chance. I know I'm not good. So I'm not going to get a chance. I don't think anyone else is going to give me a chance. So I'm going to turn away from it entirely. And that is where our education has failed our diverse youth, yeah, and because they buy directly into the system that is what the like the overall umbrella of prejudice. Yeah, and that's me. <laughs> that's my <laughs> long-winded monologue. <laughs> no, I think everything that you just said is exactly what everyone needs to hear, and I think that it kind of goes back to the idea that you were talking about earlier about how we have innately kind of collectivized each category of whatever it be, STEM, artistic, as this is a white predominant group and this is what, this is a black predominant group and we are just like inherently racist in that way. And it's more about cherishing the roles themselves and erasing what history has shown as this is a white role and saying, this is 
an like not an ambiguous role, but something that expands beyond what race is. Someone can fit this category of what a character is beyond what their race looks like. And it's just of kind of normalizing not only that, but also the idea that, um, I don't know, I was talking about this earlier with a friend that the arts are just as valid as any other kind of uh, field of work and it's like everyone puts in the same determination to get what they want no matter what their passion is and even though the arts have the stigma of being not as financially rewarding it doesn't make it doesn't excuse the fact that people are still as determined and willing to do what they want to do i mean you i mean truly like the art art in in its in and of itself is so necessary to our everyday form of life yeah. Like I like I can see behind you all those paintings, all those pictures yeah. on the wall. That's art. Every time in quarantine, every time someone turned on Netflix or turned on Hulu or went and wa- binge watch a show, that is art. Exactly. Anytime we are sitting, we got bored and we listened to music, that is art. <laughs> but yet there's somehow this little belief that like funding the arts is not gonna help. When it's really the arts that make our world go round, that keep our day moving. Yeah. Because, I mean, tell me the last time you went a day without listening to music, watching TV, or looking at art, you know? Exactly. Life is dull without it. And it's like, I don't know. There's just, everything is really integral in what we learn. And just, I just think that everything needs to be restructured. Because we can see where we are right now. This is the aftermath. This is the aftermath of everything and the system that we have we have to do better you know and I guess kind of going back to you as an artist (laughs) what kind of adversities did you overcome or how have you seen how's your perspective shifted throughout your career I was always the only black boy you know and the in something about that I never saw it Mm -hmm. I always was it but I never knew it you know I never really like felt that like I never felt that awesome and I just knew well I'm the only black boy so of course I'm here like like I'm always the only black boy without really understanding what that sentence actually means but when I began to succeed so come high school and these are things that were said but something that I can't that my 2020 hindsight says oh this is what it is it's thing and they happen to be in college too like it's not until then but so many times have I been written off for my success due to the color of my skin. Nobody wants to say Joshua got that job because he put in the work. People like to say Joshua got that job because black is in right now, because ethnic is in right now, because they needed diversity. Well, you know, Joshua, I'm a dime a dozen, and I and like there's so many people that look like me when we auditioned that like they really can't see, but you, yeah, they notice you. And it's never it's never, well, Joshua, I mean, I saw how much work you've been putting in the, the practice. I see how hard you train. And that's what's getting you these jobs. No, it's Joshua. Joshua, they need people like you. That's why you're doing it. And that's the kind of adversity you feel. Because, not so, I mean, more times than one, I feel like that's more, what I face more. I've, I know that there are stories of people ne- not being able to get into the room. Yeah. And I know that exists in this world. But whereas... I've yet to, I have not experienced as much as that as I have the other side of that coin. Right. About when you get into the room and when you do succeed. 
mm-hmm. how does how does your your support system your your the people that you consider to be friends family counterparts artists collaborators how do they support you well they want to write off your success right, right. and I mean, it was everything from like, oh, well, your mom bought that role for you or your like family did X, Y, and Z for you to get this. Like, oh, you had to go around. As opposed to saying, no, like I earned what I earned. Right. And that is the bottom line. And how do I combat that? I do it again. (laughs) True. True, stay winning. Yeah, so like, and while I hear it, and I understand that it is just someone else trying to make themselves feel feel better about not getting the same thing. Yeah. I will also say to that, put in the work. Call like take away race. What do where are we? What right. is what is this? Exactly. You know? Because if race is the only thing that's getting me into the room, mm-hmm. then, then I'd be in a lot more rooms. <laughs> True. <laughs> not because but I put in the work and that is I think the biggest the biggest way I have found to overcome the naysayers the negativity the prejudice the bias is to work so hard that you can't overlook me and so that to the point where I know that when we step I'll work my butt up to the point where I can stand in a line of Sally's and Tom's and be just as good if not better and know that mm-hmm. and to the point where I will make sure that you know and everyone else in the room can see it because when you do choose X, Y, and Z over me because of my race because you like them I'll be able to see that right and everyone else will be able to see that too mm-hmm. and so that's kind of how I've always viewed it is I will my I put I put that negative energy into my work yeah. and I let it fuel my work yeah and I think that's just really commendable because you're talking about earlier all these kind of uh secondhand adversities that a lot of people encounter because they are seen as like not represented within the theater community and it's almost as though that's not a possibility and already stunts their self-esteem and their potential to want to further that career and it's just showing that your passion is 10 times more present than the person who is privileged enough to be in the same room as you. Mm-hmm. But growing up, did that kind of idea that they valued your race more than the genuine talent within you and the genuine passion ever stunt your inspiration and motivation to keep going? Was it a, anything you ever questioned? Thank you, because so, my my family we one my family was not blind to the world that we live in and the way in which they chose to educate me and i think fueled or i would say benefited my trajectory throughout education and my dad puts it best he refers to it as a black tax you know it is a tax that only is paid by black people it is the tax that says that black people have to work twice as hard to get half as much it means that means when we go outside you wear your college shirt, you wear your nice pants because people are going to look at you and not assume you have the life that you do. People are going to look at you and depending on how you decided to present yourself that I could, I mean, the difference between like, my white friends being able to wear sweatpants and a t-shirt and walk in the Louis Vuitton and get help 
<laughs> based on like me being able to wear sweatpants and a t-shirt and I walk past the store and they think I'm trying to rob it. You know, like it's that. Yeah. That is what that tax is. And that's how they've always explained it to me, is that Joshua, we live in a world where you are going to have to work twice as hard to get half as much. You may not get everything that you want, but you will always be working for it. And that was instilled in me at a young age. Yeah. And I knew that and I could see that. So when you ask if it stunts me, if it stunted me, if it if it ever like held me back, I can't necessarily say it did. Yeah. I can I can see people trying to hold me back. <laughs> yeah. But I never let that be me. I was always the person and I mean I'm pretty sure you've seen it with all the stuff that's been coming out with about Douglas Anderson recently with mm-hmm. um with like all the crazy stories that I 100% support and understand like that is something that it did happen in those four walls. But I was always the person where when that came at me and someone said, oh, you can't come this way, this isn't for you. I'd say, all right, great, I'll go around you. I will find a different way. Yeah. Because if nothing was gonna stop me from getting to where I wanna be, whether I had to go through you, around you, over you or under you, I was getting there. And I knew that that's what that that black tax was. But black tax meant that I will be stopped. People are going to want to stop me when I'm progressing a little too fast for their taste. But it is up to me to push beyond that barrier and understand that they are not the barrier. They may be a hurdle, but they are not the whole, they're not a wall. There's a way around, there's a way through. And all that takes is persistence, and education really and yeah. knowing your knowing your options knowing that there are people that look like you on the other side of that wall that have found a way to get there and you just have to find what you have to find that path everyone gets there differently but there are people who look like you over that wall and that's something i wish i could like i would say to the black youth is like saying when you hit that wall know that there are people that look like you on the other side of it that wall has not that wall is hard that wall is tough that wall will wear you down but if you persist if you resist if you put in the work it's going to hurt it's going to feel like why do i have to do this because i've already put in a hundred percent why do i have to go put in 210 percent more work to get through this i will tell you the payoff on the other side of that wall is so blissful because you realize that you have that, because now you realize that you have 210% in you. So when it only comes time for 100, 100 is easy. 100 for a lot of people is hard, but 100 for you is easy. And so when you, so that way your, rank, your power range is from 100 to 200. You know, people are from zero to 100. And when people start capping out at 100, realize you have just that much more energy that you built up because you had to go through it, you had to go through.